Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Beautiful. That's Tubalong, Coros, Close, Close. Charlie's in the studio. Hello, Charlie. Hello, my friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm so good. <laughs> so good to have you here. It's taken the longest to get us together. Wow, you're here now. That's what counts. Yes. That's what counts. You are. This show is all about health and creativity and how they interlink, how they interrelate, and you are the epitome of that. (laughs) Also, actually, the last kind of year, I've been getting into more talking about the history of the London scene, which you also have a lot to say about. So we got so much to talk about. It's good to be here. (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself for people that don't know? Who is Charlie Dark? (laughs) For those people listening in who are unaware of who I am, uh, my name is Charlie Dark. I'm a DJ, sometimes poet, yoga teacher, more commonly known these days as the founder of Rundem Crew, which is an urban running collective based in East London. That is me. And a lot more. Yeah, and a lot more. <laughs> I'm a DJ as well, you know, there's lots of things, I've done lots of things, lots of things in my time. And uh, we've known each other too many years to mention. I think we met in 1988. Yeah, I 1988 think it was. or 1989. I think it was 88. Do you yeah. want to tell the story? Yeah, so I um, I botched my A-levels completely <laughs> <laughs> and ended up going off to an obscure university in West London and um, couldn't get into halls. So I ended up living in this massive house in Richmond that had a tennis court. Um, it was an amazing house and it backed onto the river and there were loads of houseboats on there. And I used to see this young girl walking around, first person I knew who had tattoos, ah. you know. I'd say slightly eccentric for the time, you know, <laughs> definitely had her own sense of style. And um, yeah, it was, it was Kate, who was not known as Kate Magic then. I think you were just known as Kate. Yeah, oh, it was Polly, wasn't it? Was it was Polly, yes, yeah. you were known as Polly then. I was still Polly back then. Yeah. But you used to be skating under the bridge yes. in Richmond and you were always skating and I was always walking back to the boat and I think yeah. you just said hello one day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you looked pretty cool. And, uh, you knew <laughs> loads of people. I think you were a spot. I had a house party in my house. And um, I think you were responsible for the very large amount of people who actually turned up. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. it was, yeah. <laughs> I look at it nicely now. At the time, I was slightly panicking. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was good times, man. Good times. Good times. Really, really good times. So really let's, good. let's start with your 
journey because it's been a I mean you're going to write a book one day surely autobiography Hopefully. there's a lot to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how did you enter into this world of music and health what was your journey point in we were both really into our music at that point so yeah I'd always been into music as a, as a kid and I started DJing at school and then continued at university DJing one of the kind of uni DJs and then after that I ended up working um, for a PR company in Farringdon when Farringdon was a hole and no one used to go there. I used to think it was like at the end of the earth. But it was a recording studio upstairs run by these guys called Pressure Drop, who were um, Brighton guys, actually. So I ended up making some demos with them and then I heard about this shop in West London called Honest John's that you could kind of get hip-hop promos in, which at the time, if you weren't kind of one of the super elite DJs, you just it was really hard to get records. And um, I meet this guy called James Lavelle and he literally looked at me one day and he was like, you know, you look like you're into hip hop and I've started this record company. Can you make me some records? And I think we both came from a time of DIY where there weren't very many opportunities. So when an opportunity presented itself, you just said yes automatically and then worked out how to do it afterwards. Okay, so was that how Attica Blues was born? Yeah, kind of. um, I had started making tunes at uni but not very seriously. And then when I met James, he was like, you know, can you make me some records? And I I didn't really, you know, as a DJ, I didn't really know how records were made. But I met this guy called Tony Wachiku in um, a shop called Turnkey on Charlesbury Avenue. That was one of the only places in London that you could get audio equipment. Black Nigerian dude. So, you know, I'm in there kind of pretending I know what I'm doing. And then I kind of feel this looming presence behind me. And we kind of struck up a conversation. And I realised that I kept on seeing him at different jams that I was going to. The thing about times then is kind of like, if you were young African kids, you weren't really encouraged to get into music. It was really kind of like doctor, lawyer, very studious, you know, professions, what you were encouraged into. So the rebellious ones who you would see out, you just automatically made friends with. You know, they were like the kindred spirits. And so we went away and we made some Attica demos and Rob was introduced to us, you know, as um, my next girlfriend of mine. And that's how it kind of came about. It was all very organic. It wasn't a kind of thing of like, I'm going to form a band. It was just kind of literally making music with our friends and it kind of took off. Because I think we lost contact for a bit. And then the next time I remember seeing you was on the dance floor of That's How It Is. Yes. And you told me, I was like, what are you up to? You're like... I would do this thing, Attica Blues, and I, I'd already bought it. Like I think it was CD back then, yeah. but I already had it, and I was like, "Wow, I love this!" <laughs> and yeah, that was like you were you were just in there doing it. Yeah, it's just um, kind of doing it. Had grand kind of designs of being a very big pop star. Well, and you had a major deal, didn't you? Yeah, we signed to Moex, then to A and M Records, and then to Sony. Big deal on Sony. Did lots of remixes and productions for various different people, and then it all kind of crashed. First album came out. I think Sade delivered her album late that year. Her heart got broken by someone. And because of that, you know, life at Sony got really hard. They started getting rid of okay. all, the, <laughs> you know, of all of the subsidiary labels, wow. you know. And so um, to whoever who was the dude who broke Sade's heart, <laughs> you mashed up my career. Um, and um, that's kind of how the wellness started. Because I kind of, I wasn't prepared for the excesses that come from being in the music industry. Uh-huh you know, and the lifestyle that comes. It's all very cool when you're kind of aspiring and it's like, oh yeah, I want to be on the plane every weekend flying in a different time zone and, you know, and DJing to thousands of people and kind of, but it's actually quite a lonely lifestyle. Uh And 
as I've got more into my kind of spirituality and wellness, what I realized as a DJ is kind of, you're in this little box in this very big space that all these other people are coming into and you're absorbing all of their energy. Uh -huh. Some of it can be good, some of it can be bad. But a lot of times people have come to the club because they want to forget about their life. It's all being projected on right. you and suddenly anxiety attacks, panic, you know, just kind of depression sets in. And I kind of had that moment where I was just like, I've, I've accumulated all of the stuff that the industry has told me I should have. Yeah. The trainer collection, the car collection, you know, the, the, you know, collection. the record collection, you know, the fly girlfriend, all of that. Yeah. And I just wasn't happy. Just felt really lonely, very unfulfilled. And my body was out, was shot, you know, because DJing kills your body. You know, it really does. And it, at that time, kind of early 2000s, you know, no one's really talking about mental health. No one's talking about depression. Yeah. No one's talking about kind of the physical toll that kind of being a musician takes on your body. And um, I just had one of those days where I was like, I can't do it anymore. And that's where the running came. And the running subsequently opened doors to, uh -huh. into uh -huh. yoga and meditation and, you know, just a healthier lifestyle. Because I used to laugh at people. I went on tour with, I did a show with Josh Wink. He did this song called High State of Consciousness. And I remember we were down at breakfast one day and he was late. And we we're like, you know, why is, why is Josh late? And they were like, oh yeah, Josh is in his hotel room doing his exercises. And we were like, what? <laughs> like, what is wrong with this dude? And He, he came, was in a higher state of consciousness. He was in a higher state of consciousness. <laughs> and he came down to dinner and he ordered like, you know, a juice. <laughs> and, you know. And was he from California? <laughs> he was actually from Philadelphia, but he just was like healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and that was really baffling to me. So, yeah, anyway. So, what year did you start Rundem Crew? Rundem started around 2007. Literally just kind of, you know, thought I have to do something, but I can't afford to, to go to the gym. And more importantly, I didn't like the gym environment, particularly where I was living at the time. I was just like, the gym's just full of, like, the type of people that I don't really want to hang out with. You know, scary dudes, scary big dudes lifting heavy weights, trying to get that stage muscle body, you uh -huh. know, not functional uh -huh. muscles, but just intimidation muscles. I was yeah. like, I can't be around these guys. And so I started running. Let's talk about that next. But let's play a tune first. You brought in all vinyl. I had a feeling you were going to do the vinyl <laughs> thing. I've been listening to your worldwide shows when I cycled. I actually cycled to Hackney last night and it, it took me there and back. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. just beautiful, your last show from last week. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, I had a feeling you were going to bring some, some heavy tunes in for us. So what yeah. have you got first? I think this first tune is by the Marvelettes. It's called Here I Am Baby. And... It kind of reminds me of going to warehouse parties in the late 80s, listening to Norman Jay and those guys. crackle <laughs> <laughs> so we're on the the condensed history of charlie duck so you started random crew when did you say around 2007 okay yeah and like talk us through that because again you're like just way ahead of your time right that wasn't a thing back then no i there was a couple there were a number of different reasons of why i started why i turned my running passion into the idea of a crew and a community I think I kind of fell in love with doing something that other people weren't doing. 
And I, and you know, it was a time the music industry was really changing and everyone was DJing and everyone was making music and the technology, you know, was changing. So it meant laptops were getting quicker, studios were closing down, MySpace was popping off, you know, it was all kind of this, the world was shifting. And I didn't necessarily feel comfortable in that world, but I realized that there were lots of other people who were going through the same thing that I was going through, which was, you know, the health was bad, sleep was bad, the food was bad. And I just wanted to do something. I was like, this thing I've discovered has brought me back to life. Like I'm loving life right about now. I need to share this with my musical community. I had a couple of friends who passed away suddenly, you know, because we all had, there was that period of time when suddenly people you knew and had grown up with were suddenly no longer there. And that was a kind of real wake up call. I was also doing a lot of youth work teaching poetry creative writing in schools I was meeting loads of kids who were kind of landlocked by their postcodes which is really wild to anyone who kind of you know has a passport to a city can go anywhere but it's really weird when you talk to a 15 year old and they're like oh yeah I live in Lewisham but I've never been to Oxford Street and they've got no interest in going because they can't go so I thought you know running as a group would be a really good way of getting these kids to re-explore their environments because I also realized that what was happening was Big brands were kind of looking at urban areas and finding beauty and exploiting it. And the residents themselves were kind of being left behind. Also, big gentrification is coming through, kind of particularly in East London. So one day I was kind of running by myself and I just thought, you know what, I'm going I'm to turn this into something. And I literally just rang up five of my friends. And I was very, very specific about who I invited to the first session got a photographer friend of mine because I thought you have to document because otherwise people won't believe it because when I was telling people I was going running they were like yeah right it's like the most unlikely running person ever got my friend Leo who was a dancer he was the only person I knew who had any awareness of the potential of what a body could do my friend Morgan who from SpaceX you know we needed yeah. someone to make music for us to run to okay. really important <laughs> Um, I got a friend of mine called Andrew Missing, who was like a mad, amazing creative consultant from an agency called BNA, but he basically had run loads of marathons before. So I thought we need someone who knows what they're doing. And then I got my friend Mark Gurney, who's now in the restaurant business, but at the time was working for Liberty. But he's one of those guys where you're like, let's go to the top of the hundred foot cliff and jump. And he's like, yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> like he, he's a yes, he will say yes to any opportunity. And it was really important to have people around me who weren't scared to try something new because essentially we were all kind of you know doing really well in our various professions and now we were starting again as beginners and that's the hardest thing I think for people to to take on board is in order to have the growth sometimes you have to start at the very bottom again and that means humbling your ego and your pride and your expectations and yeah, we went to Victoria Park and we ran a mile and we put it on Facebook very proudly. And that's how it began. Right, right. And um, it kind of blew up from there. Just as we would go, we would, more and more people started hearing about it. And then we started, you know, we partnered with Nike and we started working with them. And suddenly it kind of this very small kind of midnight idea grew into this much bigger thing, which I actually didn't f at first realize was a thing. I'm just like, oh, I'm just running my friends. And then I, you know, sat down with some kind of trend forecasting company because suddenly there was all this interest around it. And they were like, yeah, so Charlie, the way, you know, you've kind of built this community, you know, it's kind of really amazing. Like, you know, and I was just like, community? I, I, I was just running with my mates. And suddenly I realized the potential yeah. of this idea. 
and there was it just shifted my brain space completely. And it's one of the you know one of my proudest. If I think about what I've achieved in the music world and what I think I've achieved in the wellness world, I definitely am, am, am prouder uh-huh. of what I achieved with Run Them Crew because I think it has affected and touched a lot, a much bigger amount of people. And um, yeah, you know, it's kind of, I, you know, I love it. I had my 100th show uh, about a month ago and I was talking about all the guests I've had on and you know, the conversations I've had. And I realised that really my stated aim with this show is to make health cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and you were a big part of that, right, yeah. with Random Cruise. Like you say, you kind of shifted the landscape for people to be able to think about these things in a way that they was relatable rather than something that seemed just like not out of their world, not out of their mm. paradigm, right? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we managed to do was make it part of your lifestyle. This idea of health is wealth, being part of your lifestyle. So this idea that you're not stopping your life to go to the gym, mm or go for a run, mm-hmm. or go and do yoga. But it's actually just part of the everyday thing that you do. It says going for a run or taking care of your health is as normal as waking up and brushing your teeth. And now my thing is it has to be accessible to everyone. And at the moment, it's kind of not accessible to everyone. And there's still people who kind of feel it's not for them. But it, you know, I can't stress how important it mm-hmm. is, particularly to younger listeners listening, because, it, because people burn out so, mm-hmm. so quickly now. You meet kids who are like 25, they're mm. onto their like fourth business, you know, and they're like, oh, I feel so old, I can't go out anymore, you know, because they've been doing it since they were 15. Mm. And my thing is, if I love what you're doing and the creativity you bring to the world, I want you to do it for as long as possible. And I really want you to have a career because as you and I both know, the older you get, the wiser you get, the more experienced you get, you kind of start approaching things in a very different kind of way. It's easy to burn brightly in your teens mm. easy mm. so easy particularly in the times we live in now mm. but to be 40 50 60 70s and still doing it and still kind of be dictating how things are happening that is a real skill i think there's so much extra pressure on kids that we didn't have and modern life is like running a marathon right because yeah. you've got so many <laughs> yeah. balls you're juggling yeah. if you want to be a successful artist and this is one of the conversations that i have you know with my guests is like these people, like you were saying, who are touring the world, who are in the studio making amazing music, who are running record labels, maybe, who mm-hmm. are, you know, performing in front of thousands of people, like you have to, you have to look after your health or it's just not going to happen. It's just, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I think what it is, is because a lot of the people who people aspire to be like, don't talk about the cogs of the industry right. that they're in. So they're not talking about their trainer and they're not talking about the meditation person or the, the massage person they've got or the nutritionist. All they're talking about is what's happening on the stage. Yeah. So people are deluded into thinking, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, like that um, you've got just as much hours in the day as Beyonce. Yeah, but you don't have a team <laughs> of 300 people who are kind of making you be Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> and so because I know the playing field is not level and I'm in a position of being an elder... My thing is, let me share the keys whilst I can, you know, so that the torch is carried, yeah. you know, <laughs> forward. Well, it's role models as well, isn't it? Because we didn't have role models when we we kids, people in their 60s were more likely to be bent over with the yeah. walking stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so we're setting a different, we're, we're creating a different paradigm, right? Yeah, and it's, it's really important because I, I think that people don't realise how hard it is to be a young person. Mm and try and be creative mm. 
these days is a tremendous amount of pressure involved. And, you know, the, the thing is, I, I think when I kind of got into DJing, I was the only DJ in my street. Right. Now everyone DJs. Right. I mean, it's like your mum DJs. Everyone's got a controller. Yeah, it's so easy yeah. to get into. And more importantly, you didn't know what people were doing in their houses, right. in their lives. Now you've got all of that added pressure. It's a wonder that, you know, kids actually get up and go to school. Yeah. You know, because yeah. um, and when I see people being like, oh, you know, the, the youth, I'm like, you lot don't even know. Like, imagine if we'd had Instagram in our day. Obviously, there would have been benefits, you know, because it would, you know, I think the one thing that social media has brought into our lives is it's basically taken away some of the gatekeepers and obstacles. But also, it's brought a whole load of other stuff, which mm. we don't even know how it's affecting us yet. Mm. You know, we really don't know. Mm. So, Let's yeah. play another tune. What have you got next? This tune, actually, I brought in because you. Yay. Because the one thing, you know, for me as kind of African kid growing up in South London is... When I started going to warehouse parties, I started meeting people who were very different from me, who had different musical tastes, who were introducing me into new bits of music. And so this next tune is Talking Heads, Rolling With The Punches. I love the Talking Heads. And again, that just reminds me of kind of, you know, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> I forgot how it starts. I'm going to stop now because it's like, it's a tune. This is a tune. <laughs> get into the life of charlie like we're all about on this show finding out how artists look after themselves like what do you do what are your habits that keep you sane in this insane world so maybe let's start with sleep like how important is sleep to you You mentioned when you were on the road a lot as a dj like how did you navigate that and now like do you have a strict sleep schedule have you got any top tips right okay so i will confess to the fact that I fell into the fatal trap of listening to Nas and the, <laughs> and the Illmatic album. On the Illmatic album, he's got a line that says, sleep is the cousin of death. Okay. And as a big hip hop head, as a, as, you know, as a young man, I was like, right, okay. So basically all the people I look up to, they blaze a lot of weed. They stay up super late. They don't sleep. And that means you're good. No sleep till Brooklyn. No sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> and so for many years, that was my philosophy. And again, that started to catch up with me. My missus, who, you know, wonderful Sancha, wonderful. Um, she basically is big on sleep. And she has been the person who has encouraged me to be serious about my sleep. So now it's kind of, we're not playing Call of Duty to one in the morning and then jumping straight into bed and wondering why we can't sleep. She's very much like, okay, we're going to start turning the lights down. We're listening to some relaxing music. We're, we're, you know, I'm treating you like you're a baby and we're getting you into a sleep pattern. And I'm now really getting into naps and going to bed early. And, and that's partly by... I was talking to Digo from Four Hero, amazing, another amazing producer. I remember we were speaking to him once and it was like five o'clock. I was like, oh, what have you been up to? He's like, oh yeah, man, I just left the studio. I was like, what? 
was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just left the studio. And I was like... You're talking 5am? No, 5 in the afternoon. Right. And I was like, I was like, but it's 5pm. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. I've been in the studio since nine o'clock in the morning. Blew my mind. I was just like, whoa, like this guy's flipped what we know yeah. as being the norm on its head. And it's in the studio by nine, out by five. And that's it. And that was a real kind of like eye opener to me. Like, okay. So one of my things now about trying to go to bed earlier means waking up when everyone else is still asleep gives you a couple of hours jump on the day. And I really like that. Uh -huh. It's like a really, you know, I love being up and, you know, the, the world's just waking up and you feel like you've kind of got the city to yourself. Right, right. So that's the sleep kind of... Um, Thing. I heard Jamie Oliver once say he goes to sleep like it's his job. It's part of his job. That's really I important. I like that. Yeah. It's like he applies the same kind of focus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's easy to be up being distracted by nonsense. And I think also what happens when you're up being distracted by nonsense, then your mind starts going into the overdrive. Yeah. And, you know, and starts putting you in, in a position that you don't really need to be in. So going to sleep and learning that your body repairs itself during sleep and, you know, that's really important. And investing in a mat proper mattress, you know. Are you an eight hours a night guy? I'm probably, uh, I'm probably a seven hours, yeah. you know. I yeah. would do eight, but, you know, I might have a nap in the, in the afternoon uh -huh. and feel no shame. Have you read the Why We Sleep book? I haven't read that yet. Oh, you should read that. It was a New York Times bestseller. So okay. he's a sleep scientist and he talks about all the... He's like, he wants to make it law that everyone gets eight hours a night. He's Amazing. like so passionate about everyone going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also, you know, one thing I've realised is when you're looking at the elders in your family and their, their ailments, don't start thinking that it's going to skip you. And so because I see like, a, you know, a lot of people in my community who are high, have got the dementia, you know, and the Alzheimer's, I'm like, you know what? What's the common denominator? Lack of sleep. Right. So let me preempt that because my day job is being in a space with very, very loud music and large amounts of people. And actually that can't be that good for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I fully am with the sleep crew. Right. The, the sleep dem crew sleep dem yeah sleep dem it's good you know what I mean there's not I mean I think that people have kind of deceived themselves into thinking that you have to be grinding 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 and it's all about the grind and the harder you kind of seem to be working the more the results come and then I kind of the quicker you burn out the quicker you burn out and then you meet these really amazing people who don't have like zillions of followers on Instagram and it's kind of like but they're really super influential and there's nothing from the outside that looks like they're successful. And then you go to their yard and you're like, oh my God, like this is like, you know, this is like being in paradise right now. Right. And I think being around more people like that suddenly starts making you feel, you know what? There's an alternative. There's a different way that things can be done. And let's talk about food. Let's talk about diet. What are the, what's your diet like at the moment? And what are the foods that you love that it will give you all that energy when you're going on a run like what are your favorite power foods right okay i have to confess that the pandemic has mashed up my diet i will hand on heart say it has mashed my diet up um but what i will say is i'm becoming increasingly more aware about food that i can't eat because it starts to affect my body right. in ways that you know my body can't handle 
And so staying away, can't be doing loads of bread, can't be doing loads of starch, you know, can't be doing loads of meat. Just things that I've kind of grown up being staple diets, but can't have them because it basically mashes me up. Have you ever done keto or paleo or anything like I've that? I've never done keto or paleo or anything like that, but I have, you know, at times in my running career, been quite restrictive with the food that I've eaten. You know, very, it's particularly when I was in kind of like full race mode and it was all about race weight and it was kind of, I was that guy, you know, we're measuring the food uh -huh. and we're kind of doing all of that, which actually I just kind of was like, my body looked great. I boxed my top off at any available opportunity. Like my Instagram was <laughs> popping, but I wasn't very happy inside, you know, and that's something that's really important. I think trying to find that balance. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, my missus is, you know, pescatarian. So at the moment, you know, there's lots of black rice, brown rice, brown pasta, salad, vegetables, stuff that's good for me, you know, yeah, stuff yeah. that when you look at on the plate, you're like, yeah, that looks pretty healthy let's have some of that you know. what's your breakfast i actually don't eat breakfast uh -huh. i'm a intermittent faster yeah so i'm probably i won't eat till around one or two o'clock uh -huh. and then we're gonna eat you know and then maybe by eight o'clock we're gonna lock it off yeah yeah so two yeah. meals a day yeah yeah you yeah, know that's because, what I do as because well. i just find again i thought you had to eat breakfast and it had to be big and have lots of fried stuff in it and actually, I, it doesn't really serve me. It just makes me feel really sluggish for the day. Yeah, yeah. I do two meals a day. And all my kids do two meals a day as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that people need to understand that everyone's different. But sometimes experimenting with your body and actually recording the results can be quite interesting. It's a bit like, I, I treat it like a school project. Uh -huh. It's like, okay, I'm going to eat this chocolate now. Let's see what's going to happen like in a few hours' time. And then you write it down. You know, I kind of quite like that yeah. knowing what you know how things affect my body and yeah. i've got arthritis as well so this is another thing where i can't be eating loads of things that inflame my joints because it's just not it's painful so what about the hydration piece are you good at that yes water is my friend i love it 420 <laughs> let's get the water on one time you know it's kind of i i um you know i can't stress how enough how important it is and if you are one of these people who's finding it a bit difficult to drink water because it's a bit bland lime a little bit of mango juice, whatever, whatever you're putting in it to yeah. get into, but I can't stress enough. So how much do you drink in a day? Oh man, got to do like three liters a day. Yeah. Definitely. Have good, to. Good, have good. to do it. Yeah, it's kind of, that's another thing when I go to DJ and my rider is like, you know, always like, so what alcohol do you want? I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't really want yeah. any alcohol. I kind of just give me some water and some orange juice and I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Some bananas and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some really great riders. Yeah. Kind of, um, I had, a, I had a friend who put a juicer on his rider and they would deliver a juicer and all the vegetables to yeah. his <laughs> dressing room. You know, I think sometimes you just stick stuff on there just to see what, what you can get away with. <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I think getting over your embarrassment of what other people think is really important. Because I think that's one of the reasons that stops a lot of people from leading a healthy lifestyle because they're embarrassed to be like, oh, I want a juicer on my rider. But why wouldn't you? You know, if if... The if stuff you can get that, it. If you can get it. But more importantly, if you can get this stuff... <laughs> if you can get this stuff that basically helps you do your job better, then why not? So it's race day. You've got a big run ahead of you. Yeah. What are the things that you like to take? Okay. I always say to people, don't start experimenting on race day. 
So I'm, you know, it's very, if I am going to, I probably, that's the one day I may eat some breakfast, but it's going to be very plain bagel, maybe a little bit of peanut butter and that's it. You know, I'm not going to be going to my mum's house and having some fufu and powdered yam the night before. That's only coming out one way on the right. No, we're not doing that. Again, just kind of keeping it very, very simple because then you kind of, you're looking forward to the, you know, the meal at the end of the, uh-huh. at the end of the race. Uh-huh. And you yeah. haven't mentioned dessert, so you're not a sweet tooth person. I used to be the ice cream monster. In fact, June, <laughs> I'd always have kind of, I was, a, I was a sucker for the two for one deal. You know, you go to the supermarket and it's like, there's always one brand of ice cream that's always, potentially always on sale. I'd do a two for one, box two. And then eventually I decided having to put, you know, sellotape over the ice cream <laughs> in the fridge with messages saying, do not touch to after marathon has been completed. And eventually, literally, did you literally Yeah, do yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I was bad. I was really, really, really bad. I was addicted to the ice cream. And then eventually I just kind of eased myself off. And, you know, I can do a chocolate brownie. I definitely can do a chocolate brownie, but... I think one of the things that I'm realising now is I'm 51 and I can't eat like I was when I was 21 as much as I might want to delude myself into thinking that. And it has an effect on my mood and my aspirations. And so I have to be serious, yeah. you know, because I'm kind of looking. It's, it's a conversation I've been having myself recently. Where I'm realising like, you know, you know what? We don't really have a lot of time to be messing about. Yeah. So we have to be serious now, Charlie. You know, you've done, you know, you've had a good, a good thing of doing whatever you want to do. But now you've got to be focused. But also it's fun, right? You, you've yeah. got to be focused, but it's actually fun to look yeah. after your body and to eat right and yeah. to do yoga. It's like, like you're saying, a lot of times now I teach yoga on a Friday or Saturday night and I'm like, this is how I want my Saturday nights yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be in some noisy club with a bunch of 20-year-olds till 4am. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's really stressful. No <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. This definitely. is really fun, like yeah. doing cacao yoga or like what the other night I was teaching yoga and then we did some magnesium shots. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. This is how we do it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, that, and that's okay. It's okay to evolve. I think that's kind of... One of the funniest things that I, you know, you probably know this, but the people you've known for years, every time you see them, like, Kate, yeah, I'm coming yoga, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, next time I see you, I'm going to be there. And they still haven't come. 10 years go by, 20 years come by. And I'm like, that's okay. You're not ready. You're not ready. Yeah, that's okay. I think what happens is when you start taking an interest in your life and improving your health and spiritual, you know, all of that stuff, it's like holding a mirror up to the people around you. Uh-huh. And I think that's really hard because you're changing. Yeah. And so people around you feel like, oh, I've got to change too. Uh-huh. And, you know, it comes to you when you're ready. Yeah. When I met you, you know, when you sent me the vegan stuff, I was like, Kate's always been a bit wild. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Kate's always been a bit wild. So I don't know about this vegan thing, man. What did I, like, I send you? Oh, you sent me some seeds and some chai seed. I mean, it was all types of stuff that had no labels, no barcodes, no, <laughs> no nutritional contents. Or th- it was just stuff. You know what I mean? And, it, you know, it was kind of, it was, it was kind of like, it was foreign to me, you know, and it was kind of alien, like, because there wasn't this conversation around yeah, yeah. being a vegan. I remember, you know, I remember Roger, you know, Roger Robertson, yeah, poet, uh-huh. he went through a period of like having a raw diet 
you know, we'd go out to eat in the restaurant and he'd be bringing out raw vegetables from his bag and, like, chopping them up at the table. We'd just look at him just like, what is wrong with this dude? Like, because we didn't, because we, because the conversation wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what I've learned now is it's okay to, you know, if everyone else is going right, it's okay for you to go left. You know, and that doesn't mean that you're not cool or you're not hip or whatever. It just means you're just, you're just on a different path. Yeah. It's cool, man. You know I mean? I ain't got time for, to wait for Kanye to run a marathon before I run a marathon. I'm like, <laughs> he needs to run a marathon, bro. Like, he really does. All them not do. Let's not get into Kanye. That's yeah, that's like, not starting. That's a whole show by itself. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> he's like the most entertaining thing on the planet right now. I mean, he's definitely <laughs> in, a, in a field of his own. Let's not I love him. I yeah, love he's him. great. I mean, he's... You know what? Well, you need to have people like that, you know, because they are always pushing the boundaries of what can be said, what can be thought, what can be done. But he does it in such a heartfelt way. Like even when he's totally crazy and totally off the wall, you've still yeah. got to love him because he's just, he thinks he's just speaking his truth and that's yeah. important to yeah. be who he is. And then he'll like really fire off like, misfire in the wrong direction and you're like mm. oh my god and then next minute he's got some like profound wisdom and you're like yes Kanye you're back <laughs> <laughs> he's like but he needs to chill out on the um trolling team at the moment I was gonna say that that's not cool Skeet. yeah that's not cool <laughs> what, yeah. what do you want to play next we're gonna play um Junior Bayless Fade Away one of my most favorite reggae tunes ever Of only vanity and no love for 